0: Galatians 4 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Pew Bible there and uh, Galatians chapter 4. We are studying the book of Galatians and uh we have finally made it into chapter 4, about halfway to chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I was last night I was watching uh ESPN and uh, they they have these a series called E60 and they uh, just tell of 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 sports stories and life, and if you, I would encourage you to watch this. It was a um, it was a series. It was a the specific one we watched last night was called. Which I don't have a watch up here for a time. Someone's gonna have to tell me, or we'll be here forever. <laughs> so uh, it was called Catching Kayla, and uh, Kayla was a. It was emotional. Our kids kept looking at me, Dad. Why are you crying? And I'm thinking, you're clearly not understanding what's going on here. And so we had a great time to, to talk to them. But Kayla was a, 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 a freshman. She was an all-state, all-world soccer player. And uh, one night, she started noticing that she could not feel her legs. And uh, gradually, it got worse and worse. And she, they, she went through a lot of tests, and they diagnosed her with MS. MS. And an MS affects people in different forms, in different ways, and to varying degrees. And you can imagine being a, uh, a ninth grader and receiving that MS, her mo- the, the diagnosis, rather. Her mom was a nurse, and so her mom knew full well uh, what this meant. She, she knew full well what the prognosis for Kayla would probably be and uh over the oh, for about nine months, she had no no feeling just tingling in her legs, and by the grace of God that came that that went away and and Kayla could not play soccer anymore, and so she decided to run. She had ran a bunch to get ready for soccer, and if you've played soccer, you know that involves a lot of running and uh since she couldn't do soccer anymore, she decided to run, and she was not very good at first, and her coach is there talking about it but she set her mind to be a great runner. And uh, by the time she uh, became a senior, she had become the best in the state. And, and the reality was this, and this is what was emotional. It, it, the story chronicled how she turned suffering into gain. It chronicled how she took something that would have been debilitating... And used it for something to bring great glory to God. Because you see, for, with MS, she could run. She could run, but eventually as she ran with MS, as your body heat increases, the symptoms of MS increase. So the more she ran, the worse her symptoms became. Meaning the more she ran, the less that she could feel her legs. But here's the deal she could still run and not feel her legs. And she ran faster and faster and faster because she could not feel the pain that was going through her legs and every single other runner's legs. And, her, and the, the thing that struck me and the thing that just... um, You know, I, I watch these things and I, I'm always thinking about just spiritual spiritual truths. She The harder she ran the more she suffered. The faster she ran, the worse her symptoms got. And yet she continued running. And she knew, she knew at the end of the race she was going to be miserable. She knew. And and the the thing that that stood me, she ran hard and suffered knowing. See, when she got to the end of the race, she had no feelings in her legs and she would literally collapse. And the beauty was this. At the end of every race, like if this was the finish line, her coach was standing right here and her coach would literally catch her. She would literally collapse into her coach's arms. And her coach would pick her up and would walk her into the infield and they would just bathe her in ice to get her And she would just be screaming and yelling in agony. And yet she still ran. And I I thought about that as we jump into this. I was thinking about the sermon Today, as we talk about uh, really a theology of suffering as we're hearing Galatians 4, and I thought about the reality for all of us. The reality is this, the harder we go for Christ, you know what happens? The harder we suffer sometimes, oftentimes. And in Kayla's senior year, she set out a goal. She wanted to be the first person ever to win three state championships. I believe it was in the main three areas that you could win a state championship in running. The first was cross country and it chronicled how she won that state championship. And then there were two other events that I can't remember, but in the third event, in the third event about 100 yards into the race, she fell. And it, and it showed how she fought back and fought back and fought back and to by the grace of God, she ended up winning that race. But but I thought about us as we dig into this passage today. Again, the harder we run for Christ, guess what? The more we're going to suffer. You know, the Bible, all throughout the Bible, compares the Christianity to a race. It compares it to an athletic endeavor. It compares it to a boxing match. And I thought about it as I watched that, and I was, just, I was just sobbing for her. Guess what? At the end of our lives, you know what we're going to do? We're going to collapse at the finish line into our Father's arms. And He's going to carry us home. And every single bit of pain, every single thing we endured, everything that we suffered, the Bible says, Romans 8.18, it will not be worthy to compare to the glory that is to be revealed in us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, this momentary, we'll look at it, this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. And all those passages were just flooded through my mind as I watched. Again, it was on E60, it's called Catching Kayla, it's a very clean piece, um, it, but it created great uh, teaching opportunities for, for us and our kids. And and the point today, as we look at uh, Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20, that that passage flooded my mind, and this sermon flooded my mind as we... As I watch that, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read that whole thing because it's probably. What time is it right now? Oh, good. So we're not going to get done. So the main, the main point. Just jump in. The main point. Paul has said time and time again that it's Christ plus nothing. The, the The Galatian believers had been called out of paganism. They were tempted to go and turn back to the law in order to avoid persecution at the hand of the Jews in order to fit in, in order to not be persecuted. And Paul is saying, no, you stand on Christ alone. And you stand on Christ alone forever. And Paul is going to use even his own suffering here in this passage. We'll see it as we, we'll read it as we go through it. But ultimately, ultimately, look at verse 19. The point of what Paul is saying is this. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That, that is the goal. Of everything that God is doing in our lives, everything that we are doing, that Christ would be formed in us. This is John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. This is all throughout. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am imitating Christ. He's going to say here, follow my example. I beg you, become as I am. Why? Because Paul was chasing after Christ. And because of that, he suffered. Paul not only suffered because of of his Christianity, we'll see that, but Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. He suffered specifically at the hand of God. You can go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, we'll look at it. But Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul had been, it was a messenger of Satan that God allowed to torment him. Why? Because it would show that God's grace was sufficient, it would keep Paul from boasting in himself. The reality is that not not only that God allows suffering, but sometimes God ushers it in intentionally into our lives for our good. And if you don't, if you say that's not true, Chris, I'll give you John 9. Man born blind. He's been born blind his whole life. He's probably 15, 20, 25 years old for that very moment in John 9. And everybody said, Who sinned? This man or his or his family or his parents? Who sinned that he would be caused blind? You know what Jesus says? Nobody sinned. It was for this very reason that he was blind, that I would get glory in healing him. Some 15 to probably 25 years commentators say he was blind for that one very moment when God would get tremendous glory in taking away his blindness. You would say, is, was it worth it? I would say absolutely. If you understand the glory of God, if you understand who God is, absolutely it was worth it to prove that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That Christ would be formed in him. And, And that is the main point of this passage today. And you see it on your handout. It's this the goal of everything that God does or allows into our lives. What we are called to obey or do as believers is for the purpose of Christ being formed in us. It's that, that, is, that is the whole essence here. And Paul, it's interesting, in verse 12 of chapter 4, the first command we see in Galatians, the first imperative in the Greek, this is a new section, Paul is turning the corner. He's saying the goal of everything, the point of everything under the sovereignty of God, is that Christ would be formed in you. It's almost like a sculptor. I thought about a sculptor. You know, a sculptor, you give them a block of clay and that sculptor looks at that clay and he has a picture of what he wants to turn that clay into. And you know what he does that by? He does it by knocking off every single part of the block of that clay that doesn't look like what he wants the final picture to look like. That's what God's doing in us. Parts of my flesh parts of my sinful nature that don't look like Christ, you know what he's doing? He's knocking them off. He's chiseling them off. So that at the end, I look like what he wants me to look like, namely Christ. And one of the ways, unfortunately, one of the ways that God does this, I dare say one of the primary ways that God does this is through suffering. It's through suffering allowing his people to suffer, or even walking them into it. He's sovereign. There's nothing that happens in our lives that he's not sovereign over. There are no accidents. There are no, man, how did Chris end up there? No, no, he's sovereign. That's very clear. And what Paul is showing us in this text is that Look, we are a part of God's family through faith in Christ alone. We have been solidly, securely placed in God's family through the blood of Jesus Christ, by believing in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sealed, we are confirmed, we have so- seen all that. And here's the point Paul is making. In, in, in direct opposition to his opponents, Paul is saying, the fact that your salvation does not rely on you, does not depend on you, you can't gain it, you can't lose it, God has freed us us up to live in freedom, even freedom to suffer for our king. Why? Because it doesn't jeopardize the relationship. Paul, as a believer in Jesus Christ, was free to suffer in a way that the Judaizers and the pagans and the rest of the world, the health and wealth gospels, all this nonsense we see, they're not free to suffer this way. Why? Because their relationship depends on them and it depends on prosperity. My relationship, biblical relationship with God, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on my health or lack thereof. And my health and lack thereof does not jeopardize God's goodness. It doesn't jeopardize His love. The cross proves that He loves me. I mean, the cross is the greatest example of that. God crucified His own Son. Worst thing in the history of the world to happen, God dying. But you know what? For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, best thing in all the world that happened. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away the sins of the world for those who believe. Worst thing in the world that could happen. You know what God did? He ushered that in to be the greatest thing in the history of the world for you and me who are believers. And He can do the same thing in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul says in verse 12, I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You've done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. That's the thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. We don't know what Paul suffered from. Many people, because of passages like this, he says, I know you guys would have plucked your eyes out for me. Many people believe it was an eye ailment could have been malaria malaria shows itself in a lot of ways you'll see other places where paul says see with which large letters i write to you many people believe it was some sort of eye ailment but paul is saying look i beg you i beg you be conformed to the image of christ even to the point of suffering that's what he's saying And that which, verse 14, was a trial to you in my bodily condition, and you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God as Christ himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? The reality is this, that the motivation that many of the Gentile believers, so-called believers, would have had for turning to the law, turning to something else, essentially becoming a Jew would have been this, to avoid persecution. Fit in. To avoid persecution. Lower the bar. Lower the standard. Change your behavior so that you fit in and you don't suffer. It would have been ultimately a promotion of self. It would have been ultimately for themselves. And that's the same for us today. The same temptation. Feel good. Blend in. Live a way that you're liked. Live a way that everybody likes you. Live a way that's safe, comfortable, good, regardless of how that causes you to balk at the word of God rather than standing firm. Why? To avoid suffering. To avoid suffering. And and Paul spent his whole life, even even imprisonment we'll see, physical suffering, he spent his whole life to make much of Christ no matter what. And what we see here is Paul's, Paul's goal, his whole ministry was about leading people to Christ and not himself. Don't be confused in verse 12. When he says, become as I am, ultimately Paul is saying, look through me to Christ. Paul is literally saying to them, as as I said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, you look to me because I'm looking to Christ. So ultimately, who Paul was leading them to was Christ. And it's the same in our homes. I am teaching, Karen is teaching Bradley and Sarah Grace how to follow Christ by what? Following Christ ourselves. We're, We're presenting a model for them. We're literally saying, follow me as we follow Christ. But look through us to Christ. And that freed him. Paul is saying, I'm free from the Mosaic Law. I don't need the Mosaic Law. I don't need the law. I don't need any of that for a right standing before God. My my salvation, my relationship is in Christ. It's in Christ's work, not my own. And what Paul is saying here is, listen. He says, look at verse 16. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly, listen to this, and here's the difference between false teachers and real teachers of the word of God. Paul is interested in them leading, going to Christ. Listen to verse 17. They, the false teachers, eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek who? Them. False teachers are out for them. They're out for themselves. And Paul is saying, don't back down, even in the face of persecution. They're not ultimately for you, they're ultimately for them. And Paul's zeal, you see it on your hand—that was ultimately for the gospel, not his own personal advancement. Listen, if you're out for your personal advancement and suffering comes, you know what you're going to do? You're going to change course. If you're taking a course and there becomes strong opposition and it hurts, if you're not sold out to that, you're going to change course. Paul never changed course. Totally contrary to false teachers, Paul solely sought the glorification of Christ and the, the false teachers who's he, who he was up against were out for themselves. They weren't looking for people to follow Christ, they were looking for people to follow them. They longed for praise, they longed for worship, they longed for adoration of themselves, not Christ. Christ. And these types of people have always been around and always will be around. If you look at at 2 Corinthians 2, 17, Paul says, we are not like some peddling the word of God, using the word of God for their own personal aggrandizement, using the word of God for their own personal gain. Paul says, we're not like them. We're out for God's glory, not our own. We sincerely want God, we sincerely want Christ formed in you. And what Paul is is, is exposing here is a person's motives, like we saw last week. It all ties together. And, And here's how. You can detect a false teacher and a false ministry by asking really this one question. Who's the focus on? Is it on Christ or is it on someone else? Is it on Christ or maybe it's on something else? See, interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit says, I did not come from my own appraisal. A well, I, I came that you would worship Christ. Interesting. There are ministries that exist today who emphasize the Holy Spirit over Christ. When Christ himself says, I didn't come for my own personal uh, um, praise. I came that you would worship Christ. Who's the focus on? Fol- false teachers, they will not be focused on the glory of Christ. False teachers, you see it on a handout, focused on self. True gospel preachers focused on Christ. And it boils down to our motives. It boils down to our motives, he's saying. You you looked at Romans 10, verse. listen to Romans 10, verses 2 through 4. I'm just going to find these things and read them out for the sake of time. Paul says, really against the same people, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. That sounds good so far. They have a zeal for God. But, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You are saved by grace through faith alone, through belief in Christ, not obeying the law. And oftentimes, not only their attitude, but what Paul is getting at, not only their attitude towards who to focus on, but their relationship to suffering will oftentimes be a telltale sign. Flip over in your Bibles, if you're there, to Galatians 6, 12 and 13. Paul is exposing, again, false teachers here in relationship to suffering. He says in Galatians 6, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, you see their motivation? A good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised Simply that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see what their motivation was? Blend in, fit in. Why? To avoid persecution. To avoid persecution. Look at verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you be circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. He's exposed them on both counts there. This is Galatians. False teachers are seeking to pave the way to avoid persecution. Hey, here's how you can avoid persecution. And Paul is saying, look, that's no gospel at all. That is no gospel at all. And he's saying, "Beware of the false teachers." That's what he said in verse 17, like I showed you, they're seeking after themselves. And it is very clear in Scripture that Paul suffered, like I said, not only physically, but Paul suffered um, circumstantially as well. Paul found himself imprisoned many times. And you can go to Philippians, we're going to go there in a minute. In Philippians, you see that Paul regularly used this against them. Paul's, Paul's enemy said this, if Paul was really a follower, if he was really an apostle, you think God would let him be in jail? I mean, if he really was following after Christ, if he really was true, certainly he wouldn't be suffering. And they used it against him to promote themselves at the expense of Paul. When the reality is, if you flip over two books to Philippians... You'll see that in Scripture God's sovereignty used both Paul's imprisonment and his suffering for the further of the very gospel that Paul preached. Listen to Philippians one verse 12, and following, Paul says, "I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, that's he's in jail, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel." so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard were the highest ranking officials to Caesar. And and, and historians say that Paul would have been chained to one of those men for four hours at a time. So every four hours, you know what Paul got to do? He got to be chained to a a high ranking officer and he just got to share the gospel to him. He's like, you ain't going nowhere, I ain't going anywhere. What you want to talk about? You see how Paul says, hey, Paul, God, God is taking the gospel to people and places to whom the gospel would have never been taken. Where, but, but in order for it to get there, you know what? Somebody's got to go to jail. I'll go to jail. So verse 14, and that most of the brethren, listen to this, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, Again, this is, he is in jail because he is a follower of Christ. That's verse 13. Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, and here's what I'm saying, the false teachers. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. You can go to 1 Peter 3.15. We've studied that, did a whole series on it. We're appointed to that same defense. He says, the former, those false teachers, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. Listen, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, you think about Paul. If that was me, I'd be mad. I'd be mad at those jokers. But look what Paul says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul says, my God is so sovereign that he takes even your sorry motives and he gets glory out of them. Even yourself, and I'm thankful for that because, I mean, how many times do we really honestly think our motives are 100% pure? I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? Praise God for his sovereignty. If you flip over to Philippians 2, 21, look what Paul says about the false teachers, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Interesting. Look at verse 22, but you know of his proven worth talking about a, talking about a Epaphroditus, that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child servant. You see the contrast? Epaphroditus even suffered, he says, never wavered in their commitment, never wavered in their commitment. Paul's mission and our mission, based on what he's saying all throughout Scripture, but specifically here in Galatians, is this. Be about the glory of God no matter what. You, You promote Christ. You be about Christ. Just like the kids saying, I've got a fire burning in my heart. That's what Paul is saying. Have a fire burning in your heart that no matter what, health or lack thereof, you'll make the most of Christ. I mean, you think about the Hale's grand, grandchild and all that he went through. The gospel was taken to places that it would not have, they would not have been able to share with those doctors were it not for that disease. And what Paul is saying is that all of this, all of life, all of circumstances, everything boils down to this, Christ being formed in you, believer. It's Christ being formed in you. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. 3, verse 7 and following. But whatever things were gained to me, and Paul had a large list of resume things that were gained to him, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And also that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And this was the whole point, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also what? The fellowship of his sufferings. Paul is saying there is an intimacy with Christ. There is a formation into the likeness of Christ. That will only be formed in suffering. Luke six forty says a pupil is not above his teacher, but when he has been fully trained, he will be what like his teacher. The one whom we follow, the one whom we have trusted our whole lives upon, was crucified for what he stated, for who he claimed to be. We've staked our whole eternal destiny on his statements being true. So, what do you think comes for us? Pupil is not above his teacher. But when he's been fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. And part of that training is suffering, because our what? Our, Our Savior suffered. So why would Paul, why would Paul gladly boast in the loss of all things? Why would he gladly boast in being in prison? Why would he say, again, I say rejoice while he is in prison? Because he had a biblical understanding and a theology of suffering. And if we want Christ to be formed in us, if we want to grow to full maturity of Christ, we must have a biblical theology regarding suffering. And that's what I want us to see. How much time, David, do I have left? According to what time? What end time? You, I got to be done by 10.43? Okay. You forget, I go to about 10.55 every time, David. Come on, no, I'm going to get through here. Come on, come on, come on. Paul, Listen, what he's saying is Paul's illness... And his sufferings were never, were never an impediment to the gospel. The problem is on these topics, I start, my mind starts going to verses that aren't here in the text, and it makes this thing longer than it should be already. So, anyway, rather, rather, he says, look, my, my suffering was not an impediment to the gospel. Rather, it was the very means that took the gospel where it took it. He, he's saying, I have a Savior who is willing to die on my behalf. The very least I could do is the same. He gave up his life for us that, that all who called upon the name of the Christ shall be saved. Christ knew no sin. He became sin for us. The penalty for sin was death. Jesus, God crucified his own son, Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and your sin that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Why? Because the penalty has been paid. Death. God's righteousness demands that somebody die for the penalty of sin. And in His love and mercy, He crucified His own Son, that if you'd believe in Him, His death could be applied to your life. That's the gospel. And in exchange, God gives you and me, believers, Christ's righteousness. We we saw it, I think it's Proverbs 15, 17 or 17, 15. It says, God hates those who condemn the righteous, and He abhors those who Um, justify the wicked. God's got a dilemma, because you know what He does when He saves you and I? He justifies the wicked. And in crucifying His Son, He's, in a sense, condemning the righteous. But that's the gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus suffered where he deserved not to suffer. But he did it out of love and he did it out of obedience to the Father. Because that was the Father's plan. Acts 2 says Jesus was handed over by the predetermined plan of God. He came for the very reason to die for the sins of the world. And Paul is contrasting that to this false gospel that was out there that was chasing after the Galatians. In Paul's own life, listen... Paul's own life, you see it on a handout, contradicted the health and wealth and the false teachers by showing that following Christ could not be separated from suffering for Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, for all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The greater question for some of us is not, why am I suffering? The greater question is maybe, why aren't I suffering? I mean, we could go on and on and and look at passages where, where 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is beaten, shipwrecked, on and on, verses 23 through 29. You can go to 2 Corinthians 16, 5. Uh, the, whole pa- the whole book of 2 Corinthians chronicles Paul's sufferings and travails. And what Paul is showing in all of those is that that, that suffering is the pathway God uses for his gospel, the pathway. And I pray that we would grasp this as a people. I know, I realize I was thinking about it last night. I mean, last Sunday, Karen, I got home and Karen always says, how'd the sermon go? And I, we had a lot of visitors there. There's a lot of visitors here. And, and you know, they just are jumping right into a dialogue. You know, I, and you ever be, you ever been there where, You know, two people are talking and maybe you're having a heated discussion and someone walks up who maybe doesn't understand what's going on and they can very easily get the wrong impression. They don't understand that, hey, the reason why we're having this hard conversation is not that we dislike each other, it's because we love each other very much and we need to deal with it. That's Galatians 4. Paul is dealing very strongly. We're jumping in, some of us are jumping in here into the middle of a book and Paul is dealing very strongly with a group of people that he beloveds. He calls them, in, in verse 12, brethren. And he loves them, and he doesn't want to see them turn away from the truth, to be led astray, and so he deals strongly with them. But, but I want to, in the last couple minutes that I have, I want to answer three questions for us to walk out of here with, probably three questions that all of us have asked ourselves. And the, the first question you see on your handout is this, What is suffering? What is suffering? Suffering is anything, you see it on your handout, that hurts or irritates that God designs to conform us to the image of Christ. You, you can look at 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 7 and following. Look at what he says. Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that I might have it leave me. And he said to me, God said this My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am what? Well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the attitude. I mean, that, that E-60, that's what I was thinking about last night when I was watching that thing about Kayla. She, she, she could have easily just crawled up in a shell. She said, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this. I, I'm going to choose something else. She, she says in their piece, she says, everything but one thing had been taken away from me. You know what she said? That I'm going to do the one thing. And I'm going to do it really well. So she started running. Even to her own hurt. Started running. Suffering is anything that hurts or, or, or irritates or, or that, that God uses to conform us to them. It can be huge. It can be small. I feel like sometimes it's just a, an unnecessary rattle in my car. Seriously. I, you ask my family. I hate unnecessary noises. Like I, I, My flesh wants to A, wreck the car or trade it in to get rid of the rattle. It's irritating. But here's what God reminds me. That's, it's selfishness. It's selfishness on my part. It's me wanting everything to be about me. It can be big or small. Why do we suffer? You ever ask that? Why do we suffer? Kayla in this piece last night, she asked that same question. Why do we suffer? There, there are many reasons why we might be suffering, and I just want to give us a few common reasons real quickly. A, on your handout, we suffer because it's part of living in a fallen world. The fact that Kayla was was. 11, 12 years old and had MS. That's the effect of us living in a fallen world. You can go to Romans 8. It says our bodies groan, groan to be clothed with Christ, groan to get rid of this body of flesh. Our homes, health, all those things are are simply proof we live in a fallen world. God did not design for 12-year-olds to get MS. Sin has ushered that in. It doesn't mean he's not sovereign, but those are the effects of living in a fallen world. It is a reminder, as Philippians 3.20 says, that our citizenship is not here in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. You look at a re- revelation all throughout. There will be a day where God will restore what we had in Eden. That every tear will dry up, every hurt will be gone. But until that day, we press on. And we will feel the effects of living in a fallen world, even as Christians. Secondly, we suffer because of our own sin. That's Galatians 6, 7, 8, 9. Do not, be, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. Some of us are suffering because of our sin. You know it, and I know it, and sometimes only you know it. But guess what? Sin has consequences, and we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's sin. But if but it's dealt with sin, see, we suffer as a result of God's disciplining. You go to Hebrews 12, 7-10, it says God disciplines those whom he loves. He treats them as a son. He disciplines them. I love my children. I was listening to a tape the other day, uh, Vody Bacham. He's a phenomenal pastor out of Texas, very strong on the family. He, he, was saying, he was saying, when your kids are young, he says, I spank them and spank them often. Spank them. Spang them often. And you may disagree with that, but you could take that up with the Word of God. Discipline your sons. God disciplines those whom He loves. The reality is in that passage in Hebrews 12, it's very convicting. Because He says that the reason why you might not be being disciplined is because you're an illegitimate son. Strong words. Like I said, some of us have to ask, why aren't we being disciplined? Maybe we're not really not sons and daughters. Because here's what the deal is. I don't discipline your kids. I discipline my kids. God disciplines. He don't discipline other people's kids. He disciplines his kids. Some of us need to ask that question. God disciplines those whom he loves. He treats you as a son. Now, sometimes we just, sometimes God in his grace, you know, the we've all been there where you're thinking, man, I don't know how I'll survive that. And then other times, something happens again. God's grace But it says very clearly, he disciplines those whom he loves. But fourthly, D, we suffer because of our faith. Sometimes it's solely the reason is this. Why are you suffering? It's solely because you're a Christian. That was Paul. Paul was in prison because of Christ. Had done nothing wrong. Job. There's stuff going all all over behind the scene that Job knew nothing about. Reason why he's suffering. God was proving the point. My servant Job will worship me. He said, this is how great a God Job serves. He'll worship me for nothing. See, the health, wealth gospel, all these other false gospels, works and all that, you know what? Those gods are clamoring for your obedience, for your works, and they are say, oh, I'll bless you. I'll bl-. You know what the awesomeness of the God of this Bible says? I don't have to do all that. I, I'm so awesome that my kids will suffer and they'll still love me. I can, put my, I can allow my children, I can put them through the ring, or you know what, they'll still worship me. Why? Because I'm the one true God. Because they're like a people who found a treasure in a, in a, in a, in a plot of land, the gospel says, and they go and sell everything they have to buy that land. That's how awesome the God of this Bible is. That's what Paul says It the end of Romans 11. He says, you know what, how unsearchable, how unfathomable. That I serve a group of people that will stay loyal and faithful to me no matter what. Like Job says, though you slay me, though you slay me, I'll worship you. That's a picture that the world can't deny. Why we suffer. Third question is this, what is God accomplishing through our suffering? What time is it, David? I got an hour? Good. Real quick, we're going to run through these. What is God accomplishing through our suffering? First one on your handout is this. God uses suffering to bring about a deepened fellowship with His followers. A deepened fellowship with His followers. We've already read Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. 1 Peter 4.12, let me read this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but the listen to this. But the degree to the the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice at His exaltation. The degree to which you share, you want to know why Paul joyfully suffered because he knew it was going to be paid back. Secondly, God uses suffering to bring about a proven discipleship of his followers, a proven discipleship. That's what I was talking about, that those who truly love the Lord, who have given themselves to the Lord, will suffer. John fifteen twenty. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's Hebrews 12. God disciplines those he loves. We just said that. Thirdly, God uses suffering to bring about a greater dependence upon the Lord than ourselves. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 12 with Paul. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in weakness. You see that also, jot down Psalm 34, 19. You'll see the same truth there. Fourthly, God uses suffering to bring about blessings upon his followers in ways that they could never imagine. Ways that they could never imagine. Blessings. Revelation Revelation 2.10, listen to this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life. You go to the book of Hebrews, it says, persevere. Romans 8.18, again, I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. There's coming a day where everything we suffered will not be worthy to be compared to the glory that we have in Christ. Fifthly, God uses suffering to bring about ministry opportunities. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1. Three through five. Basically, I don't find. It says, comfort those with the comfort you've been comforted with. That's what it says. I don't don't have time to look for it. Comfort those with the comfort you've been comforted with. Listen, God may take some of us through things and allow us to go through things for someone else's glory so that you're prepared to walk somebody else through it. You know, many of you have suffered tremendous things here. I I brag on my mother-in-law, you know, She's a widow. And and time and time again, not what what I would have chosen, not what she would have chosen, not what Jimmy would have chosen or Allison or Karen, but I've seen my mother-in-law use that to do great things for the glory of God, things that she might not have done had Frank Amorati been alive today. And in my flesh, hear me, I don't think any one of us would have traded Frank Amarotti for these other things because we're sinful. See, God, God fulfilled every single promise that God made to Frank Amorati. He fulfilled them. Even in his homegoing, he fulfilled them. Frank would never want to come back and deal with what we deal with. And yet Barbara has used that to the advancement of the gospel and pours herself into others. Some of you do the same things. I mean, she's just my mother-in-law, so I see it more readily. God uses suffering, sixthly, to advance the gospel. We saw that in Philippians. My imprisonment has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Seven, God uses suffering to bring up my maturity in his followers. That's James 1. 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mature. The same idea that Paul brings in Galatians, that Christ be formed in you. God is literally using trial to finish the sculpture that we would look like Christ. God uses suffering to bring about a pure worship to his followers. That's the Job. Though you slay me, I will worship you. Naked I came into this world, naked I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's Job one twenty. Romans 8.18, we've already shared it. Nine, God uses suffering to purify his followers. That's Romans 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. through 12. Let me read that one real quick. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Listen to the promises. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our own bodies. You see the same point? That Christ would be formed in us? How we deal with suffering says in a tremendous amount about our following the Lord, but it also says a tremendous amount to the world about the greatness of our God. Is he worthy of following even though he slays us? 11. God uses suffering to bring him glory. That's John 9. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Neither one of them. This man was born blind for this very moment that I would get glory. What Paul is saying is, look, don't turn back. Even in suffering... Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. We have a Savior who walked the very road that many of you are walking. He paved the way. And Paul is saying, look, the goal of everything is that Christ be formed in us. I want us to be a people, and even again in these tough passages, I, I... a false teacher will tickle your ears. A false teacher will tell you what you want to hear. A false teacher will skip over books like this. Why? Because they want people to like them and they want people to follow them. I don't want you following me. I want you following Christ. I want us to be a people who are serious about living out this word no matter what. That our de- that I want us to be a people, as I said, that our delight would be in God. And come what may, and the goal of our salvation is not for Chris Basham to have a happy life. The goal of our salvation is that Chris Basham would reflect Jesus Christ. That I would reflect, that you, when you see me, that I would decrease, that, that Christ would increase. That when you see me, you would see Christ. And, and the reality of this is what Paul is saying and why Paul is addressing the church here is this and please grasp this, individuals, it's on your handout, individuals who lack spiritual growth not only affect themselves, but they affect the churches that they're a part of. I mean, if this place is like a, like a nursery where there's a bunch of 30-year-old Christians running around and acting like one-year-old Christians, that's chaos. And immaturity, selfishness, it affects the church. I'm not a follower of Christ for my own sake. I'm a follower of Christ for your sake. And you're not a follower of Christ for your own sake. You're a follower of Christ for my sake. That's why we gather Hebrews 10, to encourage one another, to spur one another on. If you're suffering today, you need to ask yourself some questions. Why, why, why am I suffering? And, and, and be honest with the answers. And if there's sin, repent. If, if, if you're not sure... Go to James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll tell you. Why am I suffering? He'll tell you. I don't discipline Bradley or Sarah Grace and say, now you go figure out what you're doing. You go figure out why I spanked you. No, I tell him. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he's talking about suffering. Ask. But ask this question. Ask thirdly this. What What might God be doing in my suffering? What might God be chiseling off? What, what part of me that doesn't look like Christ might God be getting rid of through my suffering? What, what dependence on earthly things might Christ be breaking me of in my suffering? How, how am I being formed in the image of Christ? And let's ask these things together. Let's, I, I pray that nobody here would suffer alone. I, I pray that nobody here would suffer alone, that we would go through things together. And I pray that we would trust what Paul is saying here. The beauty of the gospel is this. I don't need to make myself beautiful in order for God to love me. I don't need to be prosperous in order for God to love me. And God doesn't need to make me prosperous in order for me to love him. I love him because he has forgiven my sins. And not only that, he's brought me in and he's adopted me and he takes care of me every single day of my life greater than I deserve. That's Galatians. He has declared us to be sons. And the beauty of the gospel is God has offered every single person in this world through the gospel a chance to repent of their sinfulness and turn to Christ, have their sins forgiven, and be declared a son. And that question, every single one of you are going to have to answer for yourselves. Where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? Access to the Father. No man comes to the Father, John 14, except through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way we're getting in is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have that, keep trusting. If you don't have that, let's talk after the service, please. I beg you, the same way Paul is saying Don't walk out of here without a relationship to Jesus Christ. If you want help with your suffering, let's chat. If you want to help figuring out why you're suffering, let's chat. I don't have all the answers, but I can pray with you and I can point you to a God who does. And I can tell you this. For those who persevere, there's a crown of life coming. There's a crown of life coming that all of our sufferings will not be worthy to be compared to the glory that, that, that God has put in front of us. Only this gospel presents that.